Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Borash. I'm here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold, who has gotten back from some rest and relaxation up in Houghton Lake and a lot of baseball. We're back here on a Monday night instead of a Sunday night because we needed to let Evan rest up an extra day. So, Ev, how you doing? How you feeling? Where you been? What you been doing? And then we'll talk some baseball. Yeah, I hope you can uh, hear it in my voice. I'm pretty energized coming back. I mean, it was a fun weekend up at Houghton Lake. We did a combined bachelor bachelorette party where we got everybody together. And I mean, we just had a we had a total blast. I mean, everyone's looking forward to the big day, September 8th, um, is when Savannah and I get married. And there's inside jokes now amongst the group and um, just some different things like that, that that's really enjoyable. So yeah, some golf, uh, some tubing, uh, a really nice boat day that we had where there was a lot of sun and you know, no rain, all shine. So that's exactly what I signed up for, for the weekend. And that's what we got. And so, yeah, it was, it was a good weekend. Missed out on some Tigers baseball, obviously shout out to Jenna Malinowski for stepping in and covering for me for a few days here as the Tigers have been continuing to play some pretty good baseball. Um, it's kind of been impressive to watch a five and three week, um, since we last recorded seven and four since the all-star break. Now, from a standings standpoint, it doesn't really help that, you know, look, they're seven games out of first place in the American League Central. The Minnesota Twins have gotten hot. I think I called that, you know, around the All-Star break that one of those two teams up top, Cleveland or Minnesota, was uh, was bound to get hot. And, you know, Minnesota has done just that. They've won eight of their last 10. They're on a four-game winning streak. Um, they're playing really good baseball right now. And the Tigers, as much as they've been playing well, like you just you can't keep up with a, a team like the Twins when they're playing that well and also had a pretty significant lead on you going into the break where it was interesting, but the Tigers are still going to have to make a pretty significant push before the trade deadline. So that's kind of where we we sit right now. But yeah, no, for me, like I'm energized. I'm happy to be back. I'm ready to knock out this podcast and, uh, and, and chat Tigers a little bit. We do have a lot to discuss. We got a lot to discuss. We got a trade deadline coming up this week. Hopefully there's so much activity that we need to do an emergency trade deadline pod. And there are lots of uh, shrewd, exciting things on the horizon. It was pretty interesting since we last spoke. Tigers have played eight games. They won five of them. I think you and I were discussing before we began. In those eight games, they gave up more than 10 runs two times. They gave up two runs or less five times. So two times over 10, five times two or less. Pretty, uh, that's what I refer to as August and July and August baseball, because you're rolling by then. Everybody is what they are and (laughs) either you're hitting or you're not. So saw a lot of good pitching performances, some out of the blue, saw one today that you didn't see. And I always try to tell Kirk that I will use my profanity liberally, but Tarek motherfucking Scooble today, baby. Woo, doggy. It looked like it looked like Randy Johnson today, man. That was just bullying somebody with their fastball, throwing strikes. After six pitches, I tweeted, well, uh, looks like the command's pretty good today. And he just kept pounding edges and 
it was it was an ugly, ugly thing to be a hitter facing Derek Skubal today. I need to go back so. and I need to rewatch, but I, and I know this is you know down on our show sheet a little bit, but let's just move this up before we even get into the big two. Like, how good can Tarek Skubal really be? Like, I think that's the big question everybody wants to know, and I do think that that's like an interesting talking point because for me, I view him as like AL Cy Young. Like he he can do that. Like he has the stuff to to be that guy, but like just how repeatable is it? Is that something that he could do, you know, year in, year out? Are we seeing like the development of one of the next great pitchers coming back from an injury where his stuff is just this good? Everything seems so synced up. And I know he got hit hard in in his last start, but it it also was a situation where it, it was two good innings, two great innings against the Royals. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if they figured something out. He said he wasn't tipping pitches against the Royals, but it seemed like he was just leaving way too much in the middle and they were, you know, doing damage on it. And they were, you know, they were aggressive and they were hunting, but then he flips it back around and does what he did against the giants. And it's just like, okay, like, yeah, this is Terry Scoople and and how repeatable can this be? And what's the ceiling? Well, I mean, look what he did today. I've seen before. I mean, I saw it it for six, seven weeks at at the start of last season. Mm -hmm. The first two starts. I mean, it was start after start after start. It was ridiculous. I mean, did I think he threw harder today and the consistency of the command was better? Well, it's like saying last year was a 95 and today was a 98. I mean, you know, it's it's it, a 95 is still going to dominate. So what ended up happening is, is between health and being what has happened historically to Tarek Skubal, he just struggles at some point in time to maintain command. And I think we have found out, regardless of how good the stuff is, if he doesn't have fastball command and pitches are in the middle of the plate, they clobber the shit out of him. Okay. So, and we've seen it many, many, many times. So the answer is Tarek Skubal, and I, I've heard AJ talk about this. It, when Tarek Skubal has not had precise command, he needs to miss off the plate not in the middle of the plate. And he's never really showed a capacity to execute, you know, his second or third or fourth best stuff. Well, Mark, I'm encouraged by a couple things though, right? I mean, you you really, you go back and look at his four starts since coming back from the injured list, four runs or four innings, no runs against Oakland, four innings, no runs against Toronto, four innings, seven runs against Kansas City, and five innings, no runs against San Francisco. So you're looking at three outstanding starts, albeit short starts because he's coming back from an injury, and then one blow-up start. Like I, I think that maybe is just more of an anomaly compared to the other three, and maybe what we get from Tarek Skubal is the, 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 the four and nowhere in runs. Now he's going to have to face you know teams third time, third time through an order, um, you know, as we, as we get along here, but I mean, look today, he was able to go five innings and, you know, three eighty-two pitches. That's, that's the most that he's thrown all season. Got his first win since, you know, last year before the injury. And like, I don't know. I, I think that all signs are pointing in the right direction. Like I, I, I think that what happened in Kansas city, you know, I think that that's kind of one of those, you know, standoff type performances for him these days. I think he started to figure some things out. Um, that makes me believe that we're going to see more of the guy who went, you know, Four innings, no runs, four innings, no runs, and five innings, no runs. Wouldn't you think? I think his mechanics are better. I think his release point's more consistent. I think the shape on his pitches is almost optimum now. And uh, his pitch execution today 
was Chef's Kiss. I, I've seen some of this before, but I, I definitely think they've polished him up even more than he was at his peak last year. My question is, it's always been with Tarek Skubal is, how many times can you repeat it and how healthy can he stay? If he can stay healthy, I don't think there's any question he's he's got the stuff of the Cy Young Award winner. I mean, he's a number pure number one. And I mean, but can Tarek Skubal throw 160 innings? I mean, we don't know. We don't know that. <laughs> right. It's funny. I, uh, you know, Tom Ranson Weber, who is a you know a writer in Erie, was asking some Skubal questions today. He, he put up a list of who's struck out more than 10 hitters pitching for Erie in in history. Tarek Skubal was at the top of the list with Joel Zamaya. They'd each struck out 10 for Erie six times. The most, the, but it's funny because Tom's really clever. He's, he's a really good writer. But I, I tweeted back to him, you know, there, there was a part of that that he left out, which just shows everything about how great Tarek Skubal is. And that is Tarek Skubal struck out 10 guys six times in Erie. He only started nine times. Okay. He had a 48% strikeout rate the times he pitched in Erie. He only threw 48 innings in Erie. I think he struck out 82 guys. It was, it, it, it's, it's one of the single most dominating stretches of starting pitching in the history of double A baseball. If you go back and look at it, <laughs> it, it truly is. I mean, you know, striking out 48% of the hitters as a starting pitcher in double A is just, uh, you know, you can't even put words, you know, to how dominating that is. But yes, Derek Scuba was great today. It was exciting. It was a beautiful thing to watch. And, you know, he just vanquished. I mean, San Francisco's not a great hitting team, but uh, they had no chance up there today. So it was... They looked like they... I, I thought they looked like they wanted to get in, get out, right? I, I'm not sure they turned the bus off when they came into the park. It <laughs> looked like they got dressed at the hotel and told the bus driver to leave the bus running. So <laughs> it, it, it... Thank God somebody mailed a game in against us. I, I was mad that they were not further ahead because they they were on the verge. They were a swing away from literally calling the mercy rule on them early. And they just, you know, couldn't get couldn't get one more big hit. You know, Green, Torkelson, and Carpenter were were table setting and, you know, Javi's had a lot of good swings in the last week. He just looked dismal today. Um, and they just couldn't get another swing from somebody else. So Zachy Short with the two-run homer. You know, thank God. I mean, he's been, he needed it. Needed it bad. So, but yeah, it was a fun game today. It's glad to take advantage of somebody and get the hell out of there. Fully, two pitches at a hundred. I think six at ninety nine. I, I don't know what exactly how many energy drinks he had out there, but uh, he hadn't thrown that hard ever. So it was a beautiful thing to see. Energy, a lot of coffee. Got something going, but no, I, I got to go back and watch some of these games too, though. Like, like you mentioned, you know, talking about Tarek's outing, like I want to go back and really watch that pitch by pitch, just not being on, you know, I'm, I'm checking in, I'm seeing what's happening, but to really go through and like digest just how good he was. 
from the numbers that I looked at, um, obviously, you know, what you're saying about it, I, I believe you. Um, and from some of the clips that I saw too, and then the chances that I had to peek over at the TV while it was on, like, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and good for him too. I mean, he, he, he really needed that too. Yeah. Going five innings, yep. getting across the 80 pitch mark. It was, uh, it was good to see. I think it tells you a lot about Tarek Skubal. Tarek Skubal is, yep. Tarek Skubal is a, he's all business, man. Right, he was pissed off yeah. after the KC loss. I mean, he was ready to come back yep. in all, and take you down. All so. business. So, that, by the way, you want to watch? It's on 12 o'clock tonight on BSD. So, <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, let's, let's get a little more into it. Let's go to the big two. Question number one. Who do you think's getting dealt this week, Al? I think it's pretty easy to say and pretty safe to say both Eduardo Rodriguez and Michael Lorenzen are probably getting dealt. Uh, Michael Lorenzen, you, you got to say that's a for sure slam dunk. You know, sell him off. It's a one-year deal. Um, so he's not, he's going to be a free agent in the offseason. And if you really want him back, um, which honestly, like maybe they do want him back. Uh, maybe that would be a good person to go back and, and try to get back on like a two-year deal in the offseason if you believe in him and you believe in his stuff and um, you believe in his ability to stay healthy. That might be a good, you know, candidate to go back after in the offseason. But I think in the meantime, you got to sell him off and you got to get what you can. And, and he's been he's been really good. He's been really good. Um, I put out a list, you know, around the all-star break and, and going into it. And that was after the rough outing that he had, you know, in Colorado. And he, and he really needed to bounce back off of that. And he did on the last day of the of the first half of the season. And I put him as kind of one of my guys that was trending down just because the recent performance um, that he had had, I think it was like over his last six starts, he had, he had struggled a little bit. And man, he has really turned it on as of late. He has just been absolutely superb. Uh, three, four, nine ERA and 17 starts. Doesn't have a ton of strikeouts, but doesn't need a ton of strikeouts because he gets a lot of ground balls when he mixes his pitches right, when he understands the game plan and executes the game plan. Um, he's really good when he keeps it simple. Um, that's that's kind of the way that that he goes about it. If you can avoid the walks, especially walks in, in in important moments that don't allow you know further damage, right? Like that that's the biggest problem is when it's the the walk that then leads to the miss pitch over the middle and that gets clobbered and it's a, a two run shot or it's a you know RBI double. That those are those are things that he needs to avoid. When he does that, he can be really good and he can limit runs. He's been excellent, and so he's a name that's been really hot for a lot of teams. I mean, look. Every team needs pitching at this point. If you're contending and you want to make it, chances are you need a starting pitcher. Um, and I think he provides a lot of value just because of the fact that he can be versatile enough to move into the bullpen. And obviously working as a starter right now, he's been able to pitch deep into games. Um, you know, he hasn't any, what, hit 100 uh, pitches in one of his starts earlier in the year, but he's been able to hover around that 90 to you know 95 pitch mark for most of the season. And... Yeah, he's 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 been on fire in his last three starts. Hasn't a lot of run, so he's got an eighteen and two thirds inning scoreless streak going. Over those three starts, you got to move him, right? I mean, there's there's no question about it. The big question is, what do you get for a guy like that? It's a good question, but and how do you package? And 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 those are things that the Tigers are gonna have to figure out, right? Eduardo Rodriguez kind of be in the same way. Look, the trade. What do you get for the, him? The trade deadline is is an art. Trading is an art. I mean. It truly is. It's Alavila wasn't great at it. Not great at it. it well, some would say he was bad at it. Well, I, I've used this joke many times about Alavila's trading. You know, some things actually have marinated better for Alavila than we originally thought. I mean, I think the Paredes Candelaria. Paris Olson. Paris Olson, no doubt about it. Alex Lang. Jamer Candelario. Uh, and Isaac Paredes in the same deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, look, I make a lot of fun of Al 
and he was goddamn terrible. But he, I've always said, general managers, I got the 40, 50, 60 theory. If you're right 40% of the time, you're terrible and you're getting fired. If you're right 50% of the time, you got a good chance of, uh, you know, probably winning or having some good years, probably some bad years, but you're going to be a mixed bag. If you're right 60% of the time, you're going to win a lot of titles and go to the playoffs a lot of time. And that means you're wrong two out of five times. So it's it's a fine line between being right two out of five and yeah, three mm-hmm. out of five, right? So, you know, Al, Al did some things. But, you know, my joke about Al really is, is that, you know, like they say in rounders, all right, if after 15 minutes of playing poker, you don't know who the mark is at the table, you're the mark. So in uh, the last few years, poor Al was the mark a lot. Teams were were calling, trying to take his lunch money and date his daughter, and they they. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's the thing is they're they're in a situation now where this is going to test Scott Harris, right? I mean, we're going to find some things out, both about the plan for the future and you know also about you know can he make a good deal and some of those things you don't really know until you know you look a little bit into the future, right? Like you, again perfect example of that um if you want to take a peek at it is Reese Olsen right mm-hmm. like Reese Olsen you know we don't we didn't know until this year that that was a really good trade on his part we didn't really know if Reese Olsen was going to be able to make it in the big leagues until he got to the big leagues and had a chance to make it right now Al can put that on his resume hey look I got Reese Olsen but my point is though is 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 Eduardo Rodriguez like how do you make that trade work what are you able to get back how are you able to develop those players I mean this is a guy that that he is a a legitimate you know number two number three on a really good team. And I think he's somebody that you, you obviously got to trade. I think you got to get as much as you can for him. Hey, look, you have to. Can, can you start Eduardo Rodriguez in a playoff game? Yeah. Hell yeah. You could start him in, uh-huh. you could start him in the first game if you needed to. He's, you know, he's, he's done it. He's been he's there. I mean, come on now, games, dude. He's won a World Series. I know, I know. So like, the, but but the point is, is that he's just been so good this year. And, and you know, I, the numbers: it's a two six nine ERA, eighteen walks, eighty eight strikeouts, and eighty three and two thirds innings. That's across fourteen starts. He's been absolutely dominant. He came back from the ruptured pulley in his finger, and and just has been lights out since then. He had one little hiccup, but. Other than that, I mean, it's pinpoint command, just dotting pitches wherever he wants to. And this is a guy who has a lot of money that he can leave on the table and go become a free agent. And the way that he's pitching, that would be the wise decision to make. Look. Now, again, I've said this before and I've written it and we've talked about it, Mark. There's some risk involved in trading him. And there's always risk, right? We talk about, you know, taking a you know, taking a risk, right? And and trying to go out there and, and make something happen and, and do something good for the organization. But like, this is a guy who can opt out of this deal or he can opt in. And I think the big concern from other teams is, hey, well, look, here's the deal. What happens if he gets hurt? What if we acquire him and he gets hurt? Then we're stuck with him. If he doesn't get hurt, he's just going to opt out. So trying to figure out, okay, what do we really send back for Eduardo Rodriguez? That's going to be the biggest question mark. It's it's the opt out that, that, that really could hold some things up. Also, the 10 team no trade clause that can make things interesting as well. But I really do think that the opt out is going to have more of an impact on what the Tigers get back. It's, it's not as easy as the Michael Lorenzen deal. Lorenzen's easy to trade. Jose Cisnero, easy to trade. Chasen Shreve, if anybody wants him, easy to trade. Eduardo Rodriguez is not as easy to trade. He's just not. Well, Tigers are going to value him more than maybe other teams might because of that opt-out. I disagree. I think that what you have here is a guy that needs to stay healthy for eight weeks. 
okay, which I feel pretty confident they're going to do. They're going to provide medicals when he gets dealt. You're you're not trading without medicals. He's, he's, no, no, of course not. I, I doubt he'll be that big of a deal or big of an issue about where he goes because wherever he's going, he's going to somewhere really good. Okay. The question is right. how good a deal he can wave that. The, of the course. question is how good a deal is Scott going to negotiate? That's what we need to understand. As far as what happens after, look, you would you've talked to Ed, you've talked to Erod about this. I mean, you know what kind of human being he is. He seems like a hell of a good guy, really good teammate, good mentor, but at the same time very good mentor. Look, as much money as you have, he's not leaving $50 million on the table, okay? So he's opting out. So he can come back, and I'm sure the Tigers are eager and happy to have a discussion about a four- or five-year deal at 22 or $23 million a year, which is going to be probably pretty close to the market. So I'm sure they they have no payroll, and he likes it here, and he's going to be – it makes for an unbelievable rotation going into next year. There's no doubt about it. They're going to have a discussion with the guy. So, you know, let's get what they can as far as how good he's been. Dude, Clayton Kershaw, little shy in innings, not too many though. He's got 95 innings, but a little shy of qualifying. 255 ERA, number one in baseball. Blake Snell, one of my favorites with his 4.9 Walks per nine walk rate is number two at 2.67. Number three is Eduardo Rodriguez at 269 in 83 innings. So do I think a team's going to like him? Uh, Yeah, I think there'll be multiple teams eager to have that talk. Um, My personal favorite, we'll see if they're willing to pony up. They've rarely, if ever, ponied up. And if there was ever a time for him to do it, this is the year. The Baltimore Orioles, now in first place ahead of Tampa Bay. A lot of 2006 Tiger vibes there. Just a deeper amount of young players in that system not playing for the Baltimore Orioles. It, it it's ridiculous how many they have. They got a kid, I think. Probably. There's a lot of options off that team. There's a lot of options, Mark. A lot of options. I mean, if you ask me to name one, it's been named on Twitter a few times. I'm probably on board with it, but uh, I, I would say if you're they're dealing from depth, uh, Joey Ortiz, a left side infielder, can play short, can hit. Uh, he'd be at the top of my list, and I have said this to you. Jordan Westberg. Yeah. Jordan Westberg, I think they may want to keep now. He's been playing, playing pretty well, mm-hmm. plays second base, but he'd be another guy we'd be willing to have a discussion. Showcase with. him, yeah. Yeah, because Ortiz and Westberg, it's, you know, six one half dozen of the other. They got, you know, Henderson's gonna go to third base. Holiday will be the shortstop within a year. It'll be pretty interesting to see what they do. I mean, you know, look, Baltimore is just freaking loaded. They got Kowser, they got Herstad, they got they got so much action over there. They don't know what to do with it all. They don't have enough places to play all their guys. Do I? Th- and they need some arms. I. They need a starting pitcher that can start for them in the playoffs. Yeah, they do. Okay. So at the same time, I think it would be wise to try and add Jose Cisnero into an Erod deal just for the leverage of the deal. It improves the kind of return you're going to get 
Um, Jose has been, aside from two strangely terrible outings in the last two weeks, for the last six weeks, almost every other time besides those two times, he's been lights out. So, And that's when he refined his pitch mix. I mean, he added some pitches to his arsenal, helped make himself better, and he's been pretty lights out for the most part. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to talk a little bit more trade. We're going to take a break for a minute. We'll be back. All right. So we got Lorenzen. We discussed that. Probably a lot of teams. Houston might be a good match for that. Milwaukee might be a good match for that. There's so many teams. There's so many teams. The Reds. Reds could be. Cincinnati going back there. Yeah. And I think Mike would like probably going back there. The Reds have a lot, a lot of players there. I mean, a lot of people like to discuss Jonathan India. They're not getting Jonathan India for Michael Lorenzen. And as I tweeted earlier today, after I just try to let people, you know, argue with each other. Look, Jonathan India, he's a he's an, a decent major league player, but the last 800 at-bats, he's a 0.8 war. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, yes, he had a great rookie year, and yes, he's been pretty average, 98 WRC plus since then. So would I take him for Michael Lorenzen? Yeah, probably. But, you know, I think your expectation... I, look, smart GMs, here's what they do. They see players like Jonathan India as an example. And there's lots of players like this around baseball. But if you're, the Dodgers are just phenomenal at this. They see players that maybe, you know, not great, not terrible, but have some skills. And they do a dive and figure out how they can optimize them. They, they understand why they may be less than consistent or not quite as good as they were. They deal for them maybe not pay a ton for him and figure out how to make him a lot better. I mean, I could. But but my question for you, Mark, does Jonathan India, though, does he have more just raw talent, raw tools in the box where you can optimize him and he can become even better than just a serviceable player that you could? I mean, look, yeah. what they did with Zach McKinstry, for example, was was outstanding for the time that he was he was going good, right? And since then, he's he's fallen off pretty significantly. But for a guy like Jonathan India, if you feel like you can optimize him and there are those tools in the box, could he become something great for you? I don't know about great. He could become very good though. So um, and I think that's and I think that's maybe where if there's a if there's a game plan to fix a guy like that, to me it makes sense and I'd be all on board with it. But if there's no plan to fix him or if it's just, hey, let's go out there and get him because, you know, the guy's, you know, hits two fifty one and is gonna give us, you know, anywhere between seventeen to twenty two home runs, like I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. And a guy that's already going to have three years of major league service time. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to that. That That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. We, we, mm-hmm. we don't need any more a uh, hundred WRC plus major league average players. We don't need those guys. We need. Right. You need guys that can go above and beyond. For right. You. We can find out if we have those guys in our own system with what they're messing around with. I mean, Zach McKinstry can almost probably be a two-war player maybe, you know, for you. You already have him. Andy Abanez. I mean, the, the combination of Andy Abanez and Zach McKinstry together, you may get two-war out of just platooning them and until you can find something with more upside. So, 
you know, just to get a guy because he had a name and had a good rookie year, that's just wasting people's time. It's wasting more time. And Detroit's been really, really good at wasting time. So let's let's shoot for more than that. Well, that gets into question two, right? Well, I mean, that gets into I, question it, two. It, no, I'm not. I want to ask a couple more questions about question one. Do you think that they're... What if somebody... Look, you... I, both of our fondness for Jakey Rogers is well documented. People try to, you know, talk talk down how he's been playing this year. And I tweeted some things. I saw our buddy Scott Bentley tweeted a few things also, which, I mean, Jake Rogers is, he's 1.8 war on the year. He's going to be a three-war player. That's, that's ridiculously good for playing 100 games. I mean, his numbers since the f- 1st of June are just ridiculously good. He's a 131 WRC plus. He's sitting like close to 280. So I, it was right when Riley Green went down. Mm-hmm. He just turned on the gas and he started raking. I mean, people, if if Jakey Rogers hits 250 with 50 homers, he's a three plus war player. I, are we really having a discussion about wanting to deal a guy like that? No, we want to acquire a guy like that. We don't want to deal one. As good as he is defensively? Uh. I mean, come on now. But here's my question. What if somebody comes to you and makes you an offer you can't refuse? What are you doing? Well, if it's an offer you can't refuse, I mean, it better be a damn good offer. But I think it, it takes a lot to put. I mean, look, Jake Rogers is the type of catcher that the Tigers have needed for years and years and years. He is a guy that only comes around every once in a while. You don't just get catchers like this. I mean, look at how many catchers the Tigers have pushed through their system you know, over the last, I don't know, what has it been, four or five years trying to get guys to work and just nothing really seems to stick. And you're waiting on the development for somebody. And finally, this guy develops. And finally, he's here. And finally, he's doing everything that you want a catcher to do. And you're going to trade him? They haven't had any real uh-uh. catching to speak of since 2011. So Right. Like, that's my point, though, is mm-hmm. there just hasn't been anybody even that's been a staple that's been a guy that you can say, yeah, that's our starting catcher. That's the guy that all our dudes love throwing to. He calls a hell of a game. He hits some jacks for you. And you know what? He can get hot for a stretch as well. They haven't had that in forever. And, like, they need that. So, no, I wouldn't trade him unless, I mean, it, it, it's got to be the greatest offer that, that, that I've ever seen in my life to trade Jake Rogers. I wouldn't do How it. How about Kerry Bonds Carpenter? Now that now that's a player that I would I would say, hey, maybe you know there's an opportunity for the Tigers to part ways with him. Like I think he's a obviously he's a liability in the outfield. I don't think that that's that's much of a, a secret. I mean, he's not great defensively, and sure he has had you know good plays that he's made you know every now and again, but just kind of on a consistent basis. Like I, I don't think that he's somebody that you feel great about when the ball is hit to him in the outfield, especially with difficult plays that he has to make. But it's another left-handed hitting, uh, you know, left-handed hitter. They have a lot of left-handed hitters. Um, they've also got some of them coming up in the system as well. A lot of D. And it's a guy that I mean, look, like he's a D. He's he's it's it's DH only. I don't know he's if he's D, DH, DH only, but he's going to play, he's gonna to play about fifty games in the outfield starting next year, probably. And uh, you know, probably. But eight, Mark, 80, here's my 80, question: 80, He's got he's got eight. DH. No, I understand. But look, he's got you know three hundred and fifteen plate appearances. You know, almost to to three twenty now. Is Kerry Carpenter actually going to hit 261 with a ton of bombs? Like, is that who he is? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like, are, are there metrics? Do the metrics tell you that, hey, maybe, you know, he might not be this and he's going to fall off a cliff and it's going to be, I don't know, Brennan Bosch, right? Like, just to throw out a name. I, I'll give you, I mean, I, if, that's, give you, if that's what the metrics are telling you, give, then I think you trade him. I'll give you a different name who I think he is. Ready? 
I think he's a good version of Marcus Timms. Marcus Timms for a couple years. Yes, yeah, so I think you. But there's better. There's, there's better players out there. Uh, you know, in the famous words of Mark Gorash, when it comes to trades, depends on the offer. So, it's kind of. I mean, Marcus Timms only had two twenty homer seasons. I, I think. I think you move. If that's what you really think he is, if you think that he is going to hit you, you know, he have a a couple twenty five homer seasons. He's going to hit you maybe two forty, two fifty. Like, I don't know. Do you feel like you can get more out of Justin Henry Malloy? Do you feel don't like you know. can get more out of Parker Meadows? Do the metrics tell you don't, that you got don't, right? Don't, and you don't know those things? There are guys that we have, we do not know what they are, okay? You don't know what Colton... But that's a, calculate, that's a calculated risk. That's a calculated risk. Calculated To make risk. that move and make that trade. But I think if the offer is good enough, you got to do it. Look, here's what I'm praying. And then we can move on from the trade discussion. I'm praying Scott Harris puts on his best possum outfit, okay? And pretends like he's afraid and listens, sucks in the other guys who think he's afraid, seems nervous. But at the end of the day, he's the one that took their lunch money because they were eager to think that he wasn't ready for the fight. I hope he plays it up and plays afraid and plays rookie all you can, okay? And at the end of the day, he just needs to walk away from the table with a lot of good research and some good deals, okay? Because they will be trying to take advantage of the rookie. Take my word for it. It's the way it works in every form of business. You always want to take advantage of the new guy. You don't know what he has. Okay, so best of luck, Scott. You got a week, got a week to show what's up. Hopefully you you come away with some good stuff. All right, I wanted to uh, at least touch on this real quickly because it kind of integrates a little bit with the trade deadline. Keith Law, not a personal Gorosh favorite. And just for the record, he does have me blocked on uh, on Twitter, on X. And oh, I wonder why. Yeah. He, he, I, you know, <laughs> I, I may have not agreed with him a few times since 2014. So he, he didn't like that. But he came out with a, an updated list using the recent draft. And how about three Detroit Tigers in the top 36? Yeah. I mean, I think, no, I think it's respectable. I mean, obviously, you know, Max Clark is pretty much a slam dunk, especially when you consider that that was a guy that, you know, we've talked about it. Brian Sikowski from Perfect Game talked to us about it. Um, that's a guy that obviously could have been first overall in, in a lot of different drafts, right? So, like, he's a real talent. He's a real dude. I'm excited to see how he pans out. I think that was a no-brainer, obviously, to be on that list. I mean, the list that he put out was, um, you know, was was 60, you know, top 60 prospects. And so, for the Tigers to have three in the, the top 35 was good. Um, just clicking through it now. Max Clark at 24, Colt Keith at 33, and Jackson Job at 35. Colt Keith, no brainer. I thought maybe he probably deserved to be a little bit higher could, on that list. Could have been. Um, he blathered. I, he blathered I, I think over. So. He, he had some great things to say about Colt Keith. Okay. Well, I, I mean, still, I, I think, I mean, he's probably top 25 for me. But um, again, I don't know as much as Keith Law does about minor league baseball and prospects. So, um, yeah, I'll take him at his word at, at 33. I think that's that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. Um, and then, yeah, Jackson Job tossed him in there. I'm kind of surprised to see him that high, but he has bounced back pretty nicely from his injury and 
Um, you know, he's pitched very well. The command has been significantly better um, when he was pitching with low A Lakeland. He's now moved up to high West Michigan where he finished last season. So he's going to be back, uh, back with the white caps and command looks good. Like I, I, yeah, the, I, feel the like I look, I played think up pretty big. His stuff has been good. I mean, the slider is better. The fastball is better. Um, up to 99. He's given, he's given guys different looks now. And it's just, it, it's, it's not as one dimensional or maybe two dimensional where you can eliminate the slider and then, you know, just try to hit off the fastball. Like he's somebody that's going to give you different looks now. And um, I think that's a, a, a significant step forward for Jackson Job. So um, yeah. Do I think that they're worthy of being, you know, those three guys in the top 35? Sure. Um, would I have positioned them in a different order? Um, maybe I probably would have gone. I mean, look, I probably would have gone Colt Keith, then Max Clark, then Jackson Job if I was, you know, organizing that list myself. But again, Keith Law is Keith Law. He does it for a, for a living. So yeah, um, it's, it's uh, good to see, though. It's, just, it's good to see. It's, it's, it's good to see some higher end talent. It's good to see them ranked well. And it doesn't really mean anything, but it makes you feel good. It's it's nice to know they have a few things that are on the horizon of uh, high ceiling, big contributing players. I'll be interested to see how Job does. He's got six or seven starts left in the year. And I feel very, very confident that uh, the Tigers will try to throw him in the Arizona Fall League against some better competition. At least get him two, three starts there and see how he does, kind of posture him for next year. So that's that's you know, something we'll keep an eye on and just wanted to mention it because a lot of times, you know, people, you know, they, we malign their system quite a bit, you know, and in honesty, uh, it's been pretty good. I mean, I actually dropped a little piece in there that right now the, you know, top three throwers, top three starting pitchers at Erie are throwing better than they have collectively at any time this year. Although I saw Wilmer Flores went on the DL today. But, uh, you know, you could argue that the second best starting pitching prospect for the for the Tigers, and we said this last week, is Kyder Montero. And uh, Ty Madden has thrown really well his last four outings. Um, it's really hard to get a gauge about how well guys throw when you limit them to, you know, 90 pitches. But, um, yeah, a little bit better. All right. I wanted, to, I wanted to at least touch on something, talking about the trade deadline. We're talking about how good the Tigers are. I wanted to look ahead to 2024 and ask you, what do they really got for the lineup for 2024? Who's who's something you're building around? Who's taking up space? So I wanted to don't, kind of don't walk steal through. my notes this time. I'm not stealing your notes. I, <laughs> I'm messing with you. No, I, I I typed it out before we before we jumped on. I mean, no, it it is it is. There are some question marks, of course. Um, but I do think there are some pieces that you feel pretty good about, right? I mean, like, I, I think you feel good about Jake Rogers as your catcher. I think you feel good about yep. Spencer Torkelson as your first baseman. You yep. feel, I mean, I don't know if you feel good about it, but you're, you might be stuck with it. I, I mean, you are stuck with it. Javier Baez is your shortstop. That's going to happen. That's going to be a thing. Um, Can't I don't be see as bad next year as he's, there's no yeah. way he's playing as poorly next year as he did. At least uh, we said, I know we said that, but we said that after last season, Mark, we said that after last season, at least I did. I know I did. I said, there's no way he can be any worse. I just don't. I'll, offensively I'll, speaking, I'll offensively speaking. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, all I, right. So he, he's your shortstop. He's your shortstop. Okay. I think in the outfield, you got Riley green, Parker Meadows, Justin Henry Malloy, uh, Matt Veerling, who's that fourth outfielder? I'm not really sure. Do they acquire somebody else and you know maybe use one of those guys as as a trade piece? Like no idea yet, but I think that that's kind of 
I think that that seems to me pretty set in stone as at least your outfield mix. You can throw, I mean, that's how I view it. So Cole Keith is either playing second or third. That's right? what I've got him as. Yeah. It's a question mark. Where does he play? I don't know. Do they like him more at third? Do they like him more at second? Do they bounce him back and forth? Maybe they do just that. Um, so here's the, bo- here's the bottom line of what I'm asking you for real. Okay. You need either they a second need baseman. You need a second yeah. baseman or a third baseman, right? Mm-hmm. You probably need to be blunt about it, both a left fielder and a right fielder, because because you can I tell do, me I, and I look, Mark, I marked Malloy defense. Like I don't, I don't think that's a thing. Like I, I could see him and Kerry Carpenter DHing most of the time, if not all the time. Those two. So you're right. You do need a quarter outfielder, at least one. People like Matt Veerling a lot. He's done a few things here. He's got 26 RBIs. It's going to be August 1st. He's hit five home runs. He's hit seven homers, but he hit two of those in one game. So he's got a 133 ISO. Uh, It's nice. He's a good fourth or fifth outfielder. Um, He ain't taking you anywhere, and he ain't getting any younger. So you need a starting right fielder and left fielder, or you're going to have to piece together a position, you know, in a platoon, but you do need a much bigger, more potent player in one of your outfield corners than they have. And if you want a platoon in the other one, I guess I get it. But, you know, the bottom line is they need to add two players, maybe three of substance. And whether they start adding people that can fill in that particular, those particular spots at this trade deadline or they're going to do it in the offseason, but they need to start thinking about what's up because the one thing I'm really not super worried about is pitching. They seem to be able to, regardless of injury, piece together pretty competitive pitching. You got Mize coming back on top of it. So, And, And look, too, I mean, that's what Scott Harris did in Chicago, right? Like he was very influential in pitching development um, from what I've been told. Um, also, obviously, with the Giants, they were able to get guys on, you know, those short-term deals and, and turn them into something. What he did with Michael Lorenzen to, to go pick him up, like he clearly can identify pitching talent. And then obviously, when you power together, you know, Ryan Garko, Gabe Rebus, those two guys, you know, in player development, you combine them with Robin Lund and Chris Fetter and Juan Nieves, like you get the three of those guys up at the big league level. Um, that's the, the pitching department up there. All those guys are working together. They are so synced up at this point. I mean, it, it didn't really take long. They just had to get the right voices in there together. And hopefully that's where, you know, the hitting department is going to be able to take that step forward this year. But the pitching department is so in sync. It's so in tuned. I have no worries. And, and especially with Scott Harris knowing how to go out there and get the right pitchers and understanding the data and to be able to really sink his teeth into it and evaluate, hey, this is what we want. And this is where we want to take this guy. He's been able to do that. I, I have no worries about the Tigers um, either, you know, putting together a pitching staff, finding pitchers in free agency, acquiring pitchers. Like that's not as much of a concern. It's just how are you going to fill out this offense? And they went for, you know, young controllable players in the offseason when they acquired Matt Veerling, Nick Maton, and Justin Henry Malloy, and Donnie Sands too. And they acquired both of those guys for Gregory Soto and um, and your good friend Joe Jimenez. So you package those two guys together, you end up, you know, getting those four young, controllable offensive players. I think you just need more of that. You just need to keep stacking those young position players who are under team control, just 
keep stacking them and keep pushing them into the system. And one way or another, you're going to have guys that are going to come out and they're, you know, someone's going to do something for you, right? It's, it's kind of almost one of those things where it's bound to happen. And if you hit it, if you hit on it more often than not, then you're the Baltimore Orioles and you're loaded. And then when you need to make a move, you can make a move and, you know, you can dump from excess. So I think that's got to be the strategy moving forward. There are some pieces that they need, but I think they have a chance at this trade deadline to figure out how to fill some of those right now. Well, I think they got to, that has to be the beginning. Okay. It's going to take time. No um, doubt. Right. Because to be really blunt about it, it's a pretty crummy free agent class coming up. So, I mean, you got Matt Chapman, but there, there's not a ton of hitters. And we'll, we'll have to see how they navigate that. More likely or not, you're going to have to take on a contract somebody wants to dump. You know, it'll be, it'll be something along those lines. But if you want to get hitters, they better start looking around now. And they have some work to do. Well, and people that I've talked, people that I've talked to, Mark, they've said that Scott Harris is creative and he's going to think outside the box. Let's see it. This would be a good time to do that. All right, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, we got some fun stuff. Shohei Otani coming to town. We'll be back. Exciting baseball activity going to happen down at Comerica the next few nights. Arguably the greatest baseball player in history is coming to town. Evan Petzold will be there. Mark Gorosh might even sneak down there to take a, a look at him. Also, Shohei Otani is coming to town. So, uh, Mr. Otani, for, you know, he's not going to pitch, but uh, he is going to hit. And so far this season, he's done a lot of hitting. So he uh, has 36 home runs, 77 RBIs, and he's uh, hitting 302 with a 398 OBP and a 674 slug. And he's got a 184 WRC plus. Yeah, Shohei Otani can hit. So I'm excited to see what he can do. He's a five-war hitter. It's just ridiculous. So are you excited to see him or not? He's ridiculous. I mean, it's always a treat. It's always a treat. I mean, it's it's awesome to watch somebody like that. I mean, I even think, you know, I think about some of the all-time greats and, you know, players that, you know, my grandpa's told me about, players that my dad has told me about, players that I've learned about, you know, whether it's you know, reading books or, or just kind of watching old highlights, like whatever it is. I mean, there's been a lot of great players, but there's been nobody that's been able to do what Shohei Otani is doing. Like, there has been nobody that's been able to do it at this level. I mean, this is this is a guy who is an ace on the mound and also is going to hit you. He's hitting you 36 home runs right now. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, that's unheard of. I mean, go look at the OPS. Like, it's a career high OPS for him in a year where you know he also has a 3.71 ERA and he has 148 strikeouts and like 111 innings. I mean, that's. That, that, that's unheard of. That's ridiculous. It's stupid. But man, is it a treat. It is such a treat to get to see him play. Truly unique. I'd argue the greatest, most talented baseball player of all time. I, I, me too. I mean, I don't think there's any I, question. I, 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 do, I do not say that lightly. So, um, Like no one's ever yeah. done what he's doing. I mean, look, Babe Ruth was ridiculous. And the numbers he put up were so far beyond the numbers that anyone else put up, it makes it hard to uh, ignore it. But at the same time, 
Come on. I mean, Shohei Otani is facing guys that are throwing 96 to 100 from the sixth inning on every day. And that's not including some of the greatest starting pitchers in the world throwing. That's what he faces all the time. And then he goes on the mound and throws 100. So, I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's like fantasy stuff. No, nobody should be this talented. And it's exciting that he's coming to town. I, I would encourage anyone that loves baseball, it's well worth going down there if you're going to spend some money. He'd be somebody, be the first person I'd pay to go see. So, uh, excited to have him. To be interested to see how the Tigers do. I think I tweeted out Tigers are 22 and 27 at home, just flat out not getting it done. Somehow won the last two games, have won three in a row since May 3rd. Uh, going tomorrow night, the pitching's been pretty, pretty good lately. If they can get some hitting, they're usually, you know, a pretty, pretty solid baseball team. It's just you never know what kind of hitting you're going to get from the Detroit Tigers. So, it's uh, exciting, though, that Otani's coming to town. I also uh, wanted to talk to you about a few things, maybe not so much, you know, baseball. So you're getting married on, you told me, September 8th, right? Yes, September sir. 6th or 8th? No, it's September 8th. Yeah. So... I think 40, uh, 46 know. days as we sit here right now, about to be 45 days. Yep. And so you're, you told me you're not taking a honeymoon until the off season, right? Not until maybe even after the off season. We want to go to Greece, so we're going to go prime time. So whenever um, that prime, I think it's like May, um, is kind of like a good time to go to Greece, according to mm. the fiance slash soon to be wife. So um, maybe I'll be jumping out of next season for a little bit too at some point. But Ooh, yeah, we want to make man. that happen, and we also if we're gonna if we're gonna go, we're gonna go when the time is right. Um, maybe to make sure we can get the most uh, out of it. Gonna make another. Uh, you know, listen, I'm sure that the free press intern who got to you know. What was the young lady's name who got to cover the last few days? Yeah, so that was Jenna Malinowski. She did a very good job. I read her stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it was, a, it was mm-hmm. a thrill of a lifetime for her to be uh, the beat writer for a few days. Absolutely crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. It was great to have her shadow me earlier in the year and kind of knew that I was going to need this time off and that she was going to come in and step in. So got a chance to shadow earlier on, and um, yeah, absolutely crushed it. So shout out to you, Jenna. Thank you. You remember the first time that, as an intern, when you had come to the free press, when you got to cover your first couple games? Yeah, I mean, it was weird how it worked out, though, just because it was the 2020 season and it was, you know, the pandemic year and I was an intern. And and then kind of all of a sudden it was just like, hey, um, the season's about to start. You know, we obviously reshuffled some things with with staffing and, you know, we need a Tigers beat writer this year. Can you Can you cover the Tigers? And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. Like, I remember getting the phone call to this day. I was sitting on the couch. Um, I was actually at Savannah's parents' place and, um, you know, we were, they were having a pool day and we were just kind of hanging out outside and, you know, I had stepped in and I had, I had done some help, you know, during the, you know, summer camp is what they had called it in July when they were preparing for um, the season to start. Obviously everything was all messed up because of COVID, but like we were kind of all there. It was just, you know, us with her family and I get this phone call and it's like, Hey, you know, we need a Tigers beat writer this year. Can you do it? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I can do it. Like, of course, like, let's go. And And so, um, got that opportunity and like, that was really cool. And so, yeah, to get to cover like my first few games, especially like sitting in the Comerica park press box for the first time, like that was something that as a kid, you know, you go to Comerica park, you look up there and you know, that that's something that maybe you want to do, you know, with your life. And that's, that's kind of a dream of yours. And then it slowly, you read more, you learn more about the team. You kind of start to, 
you know, fall in love with the fan base and the city and, and just the people. And, and, and you just keep looking up at that press box and you know, that's where you want to be. And then to finally be there, like, yeah, that was, that was really cool, man. It was really special. Like I have a huge smile on my face right now. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy for her that she got to do it. I was super pumped when I was able to do it. And, you know, hopefully next year, someone else is going to get a good chance to do it too and, and have a good time with it. And then, yeah, it's a, I mean, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Yeah. It's uh it's something not to make you tear up, would but... forget, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an exciting thing to do, man. It's an exciting thing to be able to cover major league baseball. And the first time you do it, it had to be like a pinch me moment for sure. So oh, yeah. after, after the time, after the Tigers play the Angels, they're going to Miami, which is a place near and dear to Mark Gorosh's heart. And uh, I want to make sure, even though it's going to be a pretty long ride from where the ballpark is, that if you can sneak down for dinner on Saturday night to Joe's Stone Crab, I would highly recommend you go there. Um, I don't even, I got to see if it's even open. It might not even be in season right now. I got to check on that for you. It's Mark Gorosh's favorite out of town restaurant. So I haven't told you that. Now they're open. It, they're open. Yeah, I looked I gotta, it up. I'm looking at it right now. I got to make sure crabs are in season. I got to make a few phone calls for you, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a unique experience. You've never been to a restaurant that big or a restaurant that good. So, uh, pretty awesome place to go eat down in South Beach, right uh, on the ocean. Uh, great place to go. All right, last thing, because we don't humanize ourselves enough on this pod. And, you know, you're traveling around. You got to amuse yourself at least a little bit. Is there anything you're uh, binging on TV or streaming or anything you watch or you're just too busy, you don't watch anything? No, I mean, I'm a pretty boring person across the board. Like, I don't really go out and do things um, when I'm in cities. Like, it's really hard to go sightsee sometimes. And I, I try to when I can um, to go out and see stuff. But it's it's not always that easy. And it's also like, it's it still feels like work, you know? So it's not always like, oh, let's, let's just go, um, you know, get up early and go take a walk to go check this out. Like, I'm, I've been doing the golf thing um, and taking my clubs on the road sometimes if I can. But I have recently been reading a ton. So I've been reading a lot of Stephen King books. Um, I hit, I did the shining and then I did Dr. Sleeps. Those two books kind of go hand in hand, obviously separated, you know, by dates, like, like significantly, um, you know, separated in time. Um, but you know, obviously the shining came out way back when Dr. Sleep a little bit more recently. So I was able to read those back to back. Um, and then I also read uh, a couple other of the Stephen King books. I'm looking at them right now. The Institute was another one that I really liked. And right now I'm reading it, which is a really big book. And there's, you know, obviously a lot of pages to dig through. So I like to read while I'm on planes. Um, and then kind of maybe sometimes early in the morning. Um, and then also watching a new Netflix show that I just found out about that I didn't really know existed um, called Suits. It's amazing. And I love it so much. It has Patrick J. Adams. He's the, the star of the show. Um, it's basically there's this guy who's a lawyer who never went to Harvard, but says he went to Harvard and now he works at this firm and, and it's kind of cool to see how it all kind of unfolds. Oh yeah. You've seen it. Dude. dude I've seen every episode. It's, uh, and all it's really good. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's phenomenal. You, you, it, and it's, there's a hundred plus episodes to watch. So yeah. And I also didn't re- I also didn't realize that the girl, Rachel Zane in the, in the show is Megan Markle. I didn't realize that at first. Like I was like, it, it looked really familiar. I'm like, who is that? And then I, I Googled it and I was like, oh shoot, that's, that's Megan Markle. 
Did the future Savannah Petzold have to clue you in on that one or what? Uh, no, I just kind of did my own digging on it. I, I just I, I'm, her I'm face looked familiar, and I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know where I've seen this face before, but I've seen this face like a million times. Just can't put the name to it. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm not really a big yeah, like. Suit, I'm not. I'm not big on a, the. I'm not big on the British royal family, or really, I'm like super big on like no. pop pop culture. But the, the the first the first five years of Suits is amazing. The whole nine years was great. But the first five are just tour de force. So I'm really enjoying All it. All right. Before we get out of here, the old man, Mark Gorosh, is watching. Just binge Ted Lasso. Waited till it was all done. Uh, Jake Rogers will be proud of you. Uh, was was beautiful. Was great. Loved it. Was as good as everybody said. Also, if you uh I've turned a few people on to this on Apple. There's a Jason Siegel, Brett Goldstein, who did a lot of writing for Ted Lasso, wrote a one-season uh, product that's on Apple called Shrinking with Jason Siegel from How I Met Your Mother, who all, it captures them perfectly. Anybody that I've turned on to it will tell you it is funny. It's a 10. I uh, highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I also binge the bear. And, uh, if you, if you do not watch, I would recommend it to anyone. I, I think that's after better call Saul in the last couple years, the bear, especially season two, best thing written for TV. It's, it's just amazing. It's, it's so, so, so good, especially year two. Year one was amazing, but year two, it's hard to believe year two is better than year one. Those are the three things that Mark Gorosh has watched lately besides, uh, you know, three or four episodes of Blue Bloods every day um, <laughs> in a walk. So, all right, Av, it's, uh, it's going to be an eventful week. Um, you're going to be back in the grind starting tomorrow. I'm sure everybody will be happy to see you and uh, play the Angels, see if we can have some fun, see if we can reshuffle the fortunes and get some new players. That's going to be it for this week. I want to thank, I want to remind everybody to, you know, rate and subscribe uh, and please comment to our executive producer, Kirk Crawford and our other executive producer and Jeanette Delgado our savior our producer Robin Chan thank you for taking good care of us to my grandson Braden Michael Gorosh who has mastered the word no in the last few weeks and uh, he has truly mastered it love ya uh, this is Mark Gorosh Robin Petzold saying peace <laughs>